Angelo is uh, one of our church members, and uh, last Sunday he came up to me and said, you know, I, I'm, I'm releasing some of the songs that I've written. And I said, that's fantastic. Let's sing one of those in service next week. And that is his response um, to what the Lord has gifted him and given him in presenting his gifts and talents as offerings to the Lord. Amen, church? God has gifted each and every person. He said, you know, this morning he, he and I had a conversation and he said this morning, he said, you know, I'm not a professional. I said, well, good. This isn't a professional organization. This is the church, the people of God who are gifted with God's spiritual gifts to accomplish all that he desires in, in his world. Amen? All right. Well, we can be excited about that. And there's much to be excited about this morning as well. When we open up to the scriptures and when we talk about the joy of the Lord is our strength, I can't help but be excited and joyful because this is an incredible passage of scripture, one that has touched my heart. And hopefully you've been touched in our sermon series uh, as we begin 2021, repentance leading to joy. Repentance brings joy. And I hope it's been refreshing to you. That's the word that is needed. Refreshing in a season of, of dryness, in a season of doubt, in a season of isolation. The Lord wants to bring refreshment to your souls through the word of God this morning. We've seen in this series, we've seen God's complete restoration, how he takes our sorrows and turns it into joy. And when we come to him in confession of sin and he turns those sorrows into joy because God himself has forgiven us. And we can find true and genuine satisfaction in God himself, which can overflow into all the areas of our life. And we can find enjoyment in our life because we find satisfaction and enjoyment in our God who is worthy of our worship. We saw that the one who sows in tears reaps with shouts of joy. The one who holds the gospel precious in their own life because they have been forgiven and set free actually is the one who sows the gospel into the life of others which produces a harvest. That's our prayer for 2000. In 21, that the gospel would be so precious to our people, that our hearts would be so uh, uh, on fire for Jesus, that all we could do is sow the word of God and the gospel into the hearts of others, producing a harvest for Christ. This last week we looked at Psalm 32 and a life, a truly blessed life in which David declares that his life is truly blessed because of his status, his state of being forgiven. God is truly drawing his people back to himself and when we acknowledge our sin, we are forgiven and set free and find joy, true and lasting joy. 
And in this final section, it's similar in that God shows this extravagant love for sinners, a call of God's people who recognize their sin to rest in God himself, in his joy. Not our own joy, but in God's joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Let's read together in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 8, we'll stand in the reading of God's word. As they did in this section, you will read that they stood when they read the word of God aloud and they exposited the word of God. They explained the word of God so that people could understand the word of God. Let's read it together. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. In the Old Testament, and it reads chapter 8. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and, the, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law, before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. You, you'll, you'll notice that our sermons don't go from early morning till midday, so you better be happy about that. In the presence of the men and women and those who could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law, and Ezra the scribe stood on the wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Matahiah, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Messiah, and the right hand, Padiah, Mishael, Malkijah, uh, there you go, Hashem, Hasbadana, Zechariah, and Mishalem on the left hand. And Ezra opened the book. In the sight of all the people, for who he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akab. Shabbatai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peliah, and the Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your own way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink 
and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we pray today as we look back to what you did to a people in a time that needed, Father, to hear clearly your word and understand what you were calling your people to do. Father, make us a people, a church that hears the word of God and responds to the word of God in worship, in repentance, and with joy. Father, make our hearts yearn for your word and your truth. Help us to find joy in your presence. Father, search our hearts and know us. Help us to know you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm sure that um, you have either seen a celebrity before in real life or been maybe far away from a celebrity. I, I can think that most people have probably seen a celebrity on the basketball court at Chesapeake Arena, right, it, or, or seen somebody that, that looks like a celebrity. But often we never get close enough to get a picture with one of these celebrities or these uh, stars in the sporting world. But the funny thing is, since I was born, I've, I, I've been able to get some pictures with really famous people and sports celebrities. I'm going to throw some pictures on the board here. I'm not trying to brag because it's not about me at all. But here's, here's me when, I'm, when I was born. This is, this is a few months old. And that guy right there, you may not know who it is, it's Karch Karai. He actually is one of the most famous volleyball players in the world. He won three gold medals. And uh, he is actually uh, looked at as probably the best volleyball player to ever live. If you go to the next, next slide here, you guys may know um, this next person in our, our, our next slide. This is Jeff Bagwell. He's a Hall of Fame first baseman for the Houston Astros. There's me and my brother back in the day. If you go to the next slide, you, have, you may know that guy. That's Mike Gundy. Uh, that's, that was him when he was uh, young, and he was, I think, the quarterback coach at Oklahoma State, but that was me when I was young with Mike Gundy. Keep going. You got me with Hank Iba. That's Hank Iba, if you know who Hank Iba, one of the, one of the greatest basketball coaches uh, to ever coach the game. Continue. Uh, that's Lecrae right there. So if you don't know, if you, if you get out of the sporting world, that's Lecrae. And me right there. And that's Reggie Bush. That's Jordan and I and Reggie Bush. Funny fact is Kim Kardashian had to step aside to take this picture with me and Reggie. We, we kind of wish we, she was in the picture, but she did. Uh, but I have been able to take some pictures with some really famous people. But you, if you want to know the real truth, I... I didn't get close to these people or take this picture because of me. I'm not famous. I don't know anybody. But I knew someone who knew them, right? 
I knew someone who had a position or a place to get close to them. My dad knew the trainer of the Houston Astros who got us a picture with Jeff Bagwell. My dad also knew the, the special teams coach for Oklahoma State, and we got a picture with Mike Gundy. With the Reggie Bush picture, our family, one of our family members was coaching for the Saints at the time. Reggie didn't know me. He didn't care about me. And yet he was able to take a picture because of someone else that he knew and trusted and loved. I had access to these people because of someone else's achievements or position. You see, the same is true in this passage. The Israelites had broken the covenant that they had established with God. They were far from the Lord. They were undeserving to be near with God, and they knew it. They're grieving in this passage because they recognize their sin against the holy God. When they're reading the word, they're recognizing the filth and their guilt of their sin. They're recognizing they were far from obedience to God's commands. And that's when Ezra and Nehemiah say, And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's an odd thing to say. It really is. It is actually the Lord's joy in which you're going to rely upon to be your strength. Not your own joy. It's not your own achievements. If you're reliant upon where your joy is or your achievement or your place with God, you would be completely sad. Your access would be denied. You would not be able to stand before a holy God. And that's what Ezra and Nehemiah are saying. Rely upon the steadfast love of God himself. Allow his joy to be your strength. The perfect joy that exudes from God himself. Rest upon that in your restoration, not upon yourself. Jesus says to his disciples something similar in John 15, 11. He says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. My joy, Jesus' joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. The joy of Christ coming to be in you and making your joy full. He's talking about making Christ's joy your joy, God's joy your strength. What a concept. And how does God do this with his people? We know that God actually sends his spirit to bring God's joy into our life. You've heard of the fruit of the spirit, love, joy. And right before Jesus says that my joy may be in you. He talks about this vine and the branches and connecting with or abiding in Christ. 
And when we're abiding in Christ, we are led by the spirit of the living God and we experience the joy of God himself. Just as God is love, God is joy. So where do we find that in Nehemiah chapter 8? Where are we in the scheme, in the grand scheme of God's story unfolding, God's love and his grace and his joy unfolding for us in God's story? We find ourselves in Nehemiah 8 as God has described his people who he has has made for himself to reflect his glory. He has, he has made this people, this Hebrew nation, and God describes his people as the bride. The bride who have been unfaithful, who have committed adultery with false gods. Over and over and over again, God continues to show his people grace and love, even in their unfaithfulness. Remember back to Egypt in the time where God showed his power in his deliverance and his salvation for his people. He's rescued them from Egypt. He has given them the promised land. And they continue to worship idols made by human hands. They're, they're, if you want to put it in, in our terms, their hearts have yearned for the ways of the world. Idolatry has become their central focus. That has been their life. The temple has now been destroyed. The place of worship, city of Jerusalem has been burned. And God's people have now been in exile from the place of the promised land. And yet God has not forgotten his people He is restoring his people back, and this is the story of Nehemiah. He's restoring his people back as the faithful groom who stands at the altar ready to receive his bride who has been unfaithful back. Why? Because God has raised up godly men like Ezra and Nehemiah back to bring back to Jerusalem not only the temple but the walls to be rebuilt and and worship to now be in the place of Jerusalem. And this is after the walls have been built, God is restoring the worship back with the people. He is stirring their hearts to return to the word of God and to worship of him and ultimately finding joy in God himself. The joy of the Lord is my strength. So let's look at verse 5. I'm going to read verse 5 so I don't have to read all those names again. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting their hands. They bowed their heads, and worship the Lord with their faces to the ground. This is our first point this morning, and it is this. Worship begins with knowing God. Worship begins with knowing this God. 
You see, the people who had become enamored with the ways of the world, the idolatry that so entangled them greatly and attached to their life, they had lost sight of who this God was. They did not know their God. They did not know his word. Verse 2, it tells us this gathering was bringing God's people back. It was bringing them together as one. It, it says that it was, it was gathering on the gathering was to be on the first day of the seventh month. This was actually the Feast of Trumpets. It was the first day of the seventh month and it marked the end of the agricultural year and the beginning of a new one. So it was celebrating not only what the Lord had done and bringing in the harvest from the previous year, but also starting new, starting fresh, this is from Leviticus 23, 23, and it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, In the seventh month of the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a Sabbath day, a memorial proclaimed with blast of trumpets, a holy convocation. This this will come back to us later as Nehemiah says, this day is holy, a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work and you shall present a food offering to the Lord. It was a feast of trumpets and the people had not been doing the feast. They had not been celebrating their God And they had not been reliant upon him for not only their agricultural, their business, because they were so entrenched in the way of the world. You see, Ezra has been teaching the people now for 13 years in Jerusalem. And now his teaching is beginning to bear fruit. God's people understand the word. They're ready to hear the word. They want to understand what God is saying. And this is all planned. They, they build this platform. This is all planned. Ezra and the people are building this platform. They're coming together. They're doing all of these things. Because why? Because they're going back to the word. They're going to back to what God has said according to his scriptures. They're going back to the law and God says gather together to read the scriptures to celebrate this feast as a holy day unto the Lord. Blast the trumpets. Remind your people that this is about God. It says earlier that their ears are attentive to what he has to say. Been a long time prior to the preaching of Ezra that the people heard the word of God. Deuteronomy 31 tells us what the preaching of the word and the reading of the word is supposed to be done in the gathering. Then Moses wrote this law, Deuteronomy 31 9. And gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the Ark of Covenant on the Lord. 
and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them at the end of every seven years, at the time in the year of the release, the Feast of Booze, which is next in chapter 8, the Feast of Booze is celebrated. But when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Assemble the people, men, women, and little ones, and the sojourner within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God. And be careful to do all the words of this law, and that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land that you're going over the Jordan to possess. So they're listening to Ezra speak this to them. Remember, you're supposed to gather together. You're supposed to hear the word of God. You're supposed to preach it to the next generation which does not know and does not fear the Lord. And Israel has failed. They have gone through many generations who did not gather to hear the word of the Lord proclaimed. They did not come together to fear the Lord, teach it to the next generation, and thus they did not worship him. Yet God stands before his people as the faithful groom who pursues his wayward bride and offers them grace. This is how God describes himself through the prophet Hosea in Hosea 2:19 and I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. God is saying, I will come to you and you shall know me because of my faithfulness, my righteousness, my justice, my steadfast love, my mercy. You see, when we dabble in the ways of the world just like Israel has done, when we continue to yearn after the desires of the world and our heart becomes hardened, we cannot know God, we have no desire to know God, and we have forgotten who this God is. The darkness of our heart becomes so great that we do not yearn for God. Paul tells us this in Ephesians 4.17. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. So what does sin actually do? It hardens the heart. 
It darkens the heart and we cannot feel, we cannot know God himself. And that is when God interjects and comes into our life and he gives us a new heart. Jeremiah 24, 7, I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord and they shall be my people and I will be their God for they shall return to me with their whole heart. So God, what is he doing with his people here? He's stirring them. He's restoring them back. He's bringing them to the word of God. He's giving them a new heart, the one that leads to worship with their whole heart. True and genuine worship, which we see in this text here, comes through the spirit and truth. The example is people lifting up their hands, yearning for the Lord in a sign of surrender. Their acknowledgement here of the great God as their voice rises and the congregation responds in amen, amen, which is affirmation of truth. It is sure. And finally, the bowing of their faces to the ground in a sign of submission to the authority of God in their life an understanding of his holiness and our sin. So let me, under, let me ask you this this morning. Is your worship filled with a spirit of wisdom and knowledge of God himself? Or are you concerned about the songs that we sang this morning that you did not know We must examine our hearts. When we come for worship to the Lord, are we coming to know God? Are we coming to feel good? Do you yearn to know God himself? I'm I'm convinced, Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 1, That he prays for God's church to have a spirit of wisdom and of knowledge of God himself. We must ask God to reveal himself. We must ask God in prayer to know him. To show himself in power and give us a new heart to know him deeply. Have that intimacy with God himself. Look at verse 7. All of these men here are Levites. And the Levites helped the people to understand the law. While the people remained in their places, they read from the book the law of God clearly. And they gave the sense so that the people understood 
the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest, and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. So God gives us this new heart, right? Ones that desires to know him and one that desires to know his word. And when the word of God comes into our new heart and mind, we see a people who are repentant. This is point number two this morning. Understanding God's word brings people to repentance. How can people understand the word of God? God allows them to understand it. This is the progression. A new heart which desire to know the revelation of God himself through his word and thus the Lord changes our mind. He renews our mind in this worship of God himself through the word of God. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says it explicitly, everything that I've just said. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We worship the Lord. He begins to renew our mind through his word. And we are transformed. This is how it operates. My kids watch this show, Lego Master. I'm sure you've seen it on television or a commercial for it. But I'm enthralled by this show as they take these Lego pieces and they create these masterpieces, truly remarkable of the artistry and creativity from people. You know, it, uh, it always amazes me, God's creativity with people. Even, even this morning hearing one of our own, God's creativity in people. We as the church need to foster that creativity. But this show um, shows that creativity from people. But when I put together Legos, it certainly is not like that. I can't just take a bunch of pieces and say, hey, create something with it. No, I, I need the instruction manual. I need somebody to tell me to place this four piece with this two piece and put it on top and place it in this order or else I am not going to get it done. I'm most likely going to be frustrated and not be able to finish. And you see, God has clearly outlined very clearly his expectations for his people, how they ought to live, the principles to live by, even the festivals in which they should have and rejoice in to remind themselves of the Lord and his graciousness, his goodness and his salvation, all the things that he has done, reminding them of who this God is. But in the Lego show, and Lego masters, sometimes these master builders have to build a theme, right? They give them a theme to build upon. 
And I, I've seen even one episode in which the master builder kind of decides he's going to disregard the theme. It's like a prehistoric or a Wild West theme. And they create their own thought process. And guess what? They are disqualified. Even though it was beautiful, even though what they did was maybe good, they were disqualified. You see, in this life, no matter how much money we make or how big our company is or how many people we even helped, if we disregard the principles God has established in his word, we find ourselves outside of God's design for our life. This is where Israel finds themselves outside of God's design. And yet, they open the word. They go back to the very word of God. And they hear the scriptures with clarity and understanding. You know, the seed that is sown in the four soils, the seed that has no understanding does not even take root. But when people understand the word of God, something happens in their life. There is a change of their heart. They're renewing their mind. They are seeing God for who he is and understanding and they're worshiping. And then the Lord is transforming their heart and their mind through his word. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And in Nehemiah here at this time, they open this book. They realize God's design. They realize God's plan for his people they realize what God has done for them and the grace that he's shown them, the power and the might of God himself in his word. And they began to weep. They realize how far outside of God's design they have come. They realize the consequences of their sin, which has led to ultimately destruction in their own life, pain and sorrow and weakness. And it leads them to repentance. We just had a parenting and pandemic conference, which was fantastic. Hope did a fantastic job. I'd say it was one of the top, top conferences that I've ever been to. Um, and one of the things that we dealt with was technology. And the role of technology in the home. The average American adult will spend 9 to 12 hours in front of a screen. I read this morning that the average American adult will spend half of his life, 36 years, in front of a screen. Their tablet, phone, computer, TV, whatever screen you want to call it. No doubt some of that time can be 
used for knowing the Lord, can be used for hearing the principles in which he wants us to live by, can be used to understand the word of God. But most likely, if we're going to be honest with one another, it's not used for that. So when we look at Israel and we say, well, how could Israel worship these idols? How could they fall so far away from God? And then we look at what we're viewing or what what our mind is on or technology. Nine to 12 hours a day is spent on a screen. What are you worshiping? Is the Lord calling you back to himself? To know him? To understand the word of God? This is my prayer for us as a church. That we would be people who humbly come before the Lord and say, Lord, Help us to have hearts that yearn to know you. Help us to have hearts that desire to know you. Help us to have hearts that worship you. And be transformed by the renewing of our mind through the word of God. Church, let's allow the word of God to come alive in our heart and soul. And sometimes when this happens, when the word of God becomes alive in our heart and minds, we actually are overwhelmed with grief and sorrow at our sin. Let's look at verse 10. We're almost finished here. Then he said to them, go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine. Send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. This is point number three this morning, which is allow the joy of the Lord to be your strength. Allow the joy of the Lord to be your strength. You see, in God's restoration and his being the groom and the steadfast love of God which stands at the altar even in a faithful sinner even in a faithful church member, even in an unfaithful person in which God has saved and loved, God stands ready to restore and bring his people back to him. And as part of their restoration, God wants to give them his joy. 
There is no clearer message than this other than the gospel itself. Jesus takes our shame, our suffering, and we are given his righteousness and his joy. God himself giving his people his joy, his righteousness, his holiness, given to a people who are undeserving to have God's joy. And yet the joy of the Lord is our strength. This is how we can actually enjoy this life. God's joy becoming our joy. God's faithfulness becoming our faithfulness. God's love becoming our love. And this only comes about through the reality of the gospel in which we have access to the joy of the Lord. So this morning, do you find yourself in darkness without joy? Maybe even convicted like the people of Israel who hear the word of God and recognize their sin. God is beginning with our hearts so that we can hold this gospel precious and find joy in our God rather than finding joy in this world. One more thing I want to tell you this. So interesting in this study. Looking at the joy of the Lord is your strength and looking at the various passages in which the Lord talks about God's joy. In the parable of the talents, the master gives an amount of money to each of three servants. One he gives five talents or amount of money. Another servant he gives two talents. Another servant he gives one talent. And he goes away for a time and he comes back and the one with five talents presents another five talents. The one with two talents presents another two talents. The one with one talent goes and buries it, uncovers it and gives him the one talent back. And it's interesting what the master says to the one who has been faithful with what he has been entrusted with and multiplies his talents or multiplies the money he's been given him. It says in Matthew 25, verse 23, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter the joy of the master. Isn't that interesting? In the parable of the faithful servant, the Lord's reward is to enter into the joy of the master. God's joy, your joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. 
John Piper writes this, God's supreme passion is to be glorified. And my desire is to be happy. And these two are not at odds, but come to pass in a single act of worship. Therefore, since glorifying God is the purpose of the universe, pursuing joy in God is a divine command. Delight yourself in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Church, let us be people who worship our God because he has given us a new heart and we want to know him. Let us be a people who open this book and are transformed by the renewing of our mind and changing our hearts and minds and conviction of his word and changes the direction of our life and let us enjoy our God and find joy in the Lord himself. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the series that has impacted our hearts and minds and the joy of the Lord that we so preciously desire. Father, help us to realize and help us our hearts to be made new in understanding what joy is and the joy of God, which is more precious than anything that we can hold on to. Father, help us to throw off the sin that so easily entangles us to run the race with our eyes fixed upon Jesus. That when we enter the heavens, Father, that you would say, enter the joy of the master. Lord, help us to be a people who love you who run this race, not as perfect people, but people who look to your word, are convicted in our hearts, repent, and find joy and healing under your wings. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy in our hearts right now. And as we sing, we pray that we would worship not because of the song, not because of the place, not because of the people around us, but we would worship because our heart sings of the joy of the presence of the Lord and the joy of the Lord himself. Lord, help us to be worshipers of our life. Give us a desire to know God and be transformed. In Jesus' name we pray. Kyle is going to lead us in worship. If you'll stand, there'll be pastors in the back. If you'd like to be prayed over or talked to, we'd love to do that for you.